Thank you so much for coming tonight. I, um, I know we've been talking about foundational principles, and I appreciate you being here, and I appreciate the opportunity Scott's given to allow me to speak. If you don't have a study sheet, would you raise your hand? Wayne is diligently going to hand those out. I appreciate that, Wayne, that reminder. Uh, just keep your hand up, and he'll come by uh, and get that to you. We've been talking about foundational aspects of the Christian life, and this week we're going to focus on something that is uh, difficult to do. You've probably looked at the title. It's difficult to do with the right spirit. It also goes against our natural man. It is the act of obedience. Uh, Obeying God, giving in to his plan for salvation, trusting in him to save us from our sin can be a difficult thing for some at first. Why would that be? Why would it be difficult to give in to God's plan of salvation and to his will at the beginning to, to be saved? Let me give you a couple things, and maybe you can throw in some. We are graded on our merits and our abilities from the day we're born, aren't we? And so for us to understand that God wants to offer us a free gift of salvation is sometimes difficult for us to understand and comprehend, isn't it? Here's another one. It means that I have to admit that my plan is not the best plan. Well, that's not easy to do sometimes. And here's another one. It means that I have to admit that I'm flawed and hopeless on my own. Boy, do I like to admit that? No. But do we have to do that in order to figure out we need a Savior? Yeah, we got to admit that we're a sinner, right? Why else would it be difficult? Any Any other ideas? Pride? What about hanging on to... Some of that old baggage, some of that old sin that we like to wallow in. Say, well, you know, I don't know if I want to give that up. I've heard that before. I've heard some people say, you know, I- I'm not good enough. I've got to get to a certain point, you know, in- where I'm good enough, where God will accept me. Well, there's some of those ideas, aren't there? What some people miss is the fact that at the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, He calls us to a life of obedience. Well, that place when we get saved is a starting point. That's not the finish line. That's the starting line of of building our walk, following after Christ, obeying him, and doing the things he asks us to do. And uh, there's a lot of that 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 just over time takes understanding, doesn't it? Some of you may remember the pro, pro wrestler Jesse Ventura who made his living by staging wrestling matches and stunts to wow gullible crowds into thinking that these actors were actually hurting each other. And if I've ruined pro wrestling for you, I'm sorry. (laughs) He later became the governor of Minnesota, and he made this statement. I want you to hear what he said. He said, Organized religion is a sham and a crutch for the weak-minded, for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. It tells people to go out and stick their noses in other people's business. I live by the golden rule. Treat others as you'd want them to treat you. The religious right wants to tell people how to live. A sad statement, but it's very ironic to me that a pro wrestler turned politician would accuse anyone of a sham. But he made the statement that organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. I would challenge anyone, including Mr. Ventura, to try and live like Christ for one day and then come tell me it is for the weak-minded. 
Anyone can give in to the flesh and live like the world. That's easy. It comes naturally, doesn't it? But to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, now that takes discipline. It takes a person who is living in the power of God. It takes a person willing to obey and be told, sorry, Mr. Ventura, how to live. We're going to do something a little different tonight. I've given you a worksheet, and what I'd like to do, and this is going to maybe take us out of our comfort zones just a little bit, uh, and I'll have to ask Gavin and Melody to maybe move up with another group. I see you guys back there. He's saying no. You have to. Um, if you're not near people, what I want you to do is get around in a group of about six to eight in your group, and we want to do these first few questions. You can stay there because we're going to maybe do some assignments here in a little bit too. But find some people in your area. Just get around. There's probably in each group going to be somebody that's outgoing, would be maybe be the speaker for that group. And you can read the passage, and then I want you to answer the first four questions in your group. Okay, come up with some profound answers out of the book of Romans. So go ahead and do that. If you'll find a group of about six or eight right around you and just kind of get around in a circle, sort of. I know it's hard in pews, but I want you to do that, and I want you to go over in your worksheet, have someone read. Uh, the first place is Romans 8, 1 through 8, and then answer the questions uh, that you have. We need some folks up here. Are you guys going to go join? Yeah, that'd be good. Over here. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you because we've got to get back started. First of all, I want to say thank you for being obedient. Uh, Gavin, thank you. I was testing you. This group back here, my wife's a part of it, by, by the way, had 10 people. They were not obedient. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. 
they had a few more than eight than I said, but I wanted to pick on her a little bit. Um, I'll get that later. Yeah, I'll be hungry later. Okay. Boy, as you read, and guys, I want to say something about Romans 8, these first eight verses. Somebody comes to you and wants to know about salvation. Wouldn't this be a great passage to read to somebody? Wow. I mean, there's just some really good stuff in there. And to, to remind us of what Jesus did when he came and took our place. I mean, he didn't have to do that, but to come um, in the flesh to take on our punishment f- for us. One of the things that is said over and over in the passage you read is what's foundational to obedience. What is it? To have the what, right what? Was question three. Mindset, right? This mindset, this, um, this foundational thing that makes us want to obey. Mindset. I don't know why this is popping. I may have to take it off here in a minute. But anyway, the mindset. Who, uh, and then to look at the consequences, question four, of not following, of not obeying. Well, what a passage about obedience, right? And, and I like to do these things. We, we, we do these groups at Passion. You know, Graham was talking about this this morning. I've been to Passion the past three years. And we'll have a, a room full of 8,000 adult leaders. And we get into small groups, our community groups of eight people. And we have these discussions the whole time we're there. And it, it's a great time. Because you go from 8,000 people in a room, 60,000 in the arena to eight of you. And I think sometimes we need to do that. So I was, I was trying that with you tonight. I hope that worked well. But anyway, uh, hopefully you got more out of that. And I want to challenge you to go back and maybe read uh, that passage again and dig into it. How do we have the right mindset? I want you to look at these next things on your study sheet. The first thing is this. Realize how blessed you are to be a child of God and that you are set free from the bondage of sin. Fill those blanks in. Realize how blessed you are to be a child of God and that you are set free from the bondage of sin. Boy, that, that ought to bring this, this desire to give thanks. It ought to bring a desire to worship God, to serve, to tell others about that. Can I, can I ask you something? Does it still blow you away that you're saved? I, I think sometimes I take that for granted. And, and really, I can get excited. Arliss gets me excited because he's always excited about his salvation. But you know what's going to be really amazing? When we actually get on the other side and really see the sacrifice that Jesus made. I think sometimes I wish we could just maybe get a little glimpse of that. Arliss, you with me on that? To see the other side, to really know what Jesus has done to pay for our salvation. Folks, that ought not to ever get old to us. And if it is old, we may need to say, God, give me a fresh fire in my heart about what you have done for me through salvation. Boy, that ought to motivate us to be on fire. Is that fire lit or has it kind of been covered over and smoldered out? I'm not saying you lost your salvation, but it's so easy sometimes to just get away and go, yeah, I'm saved. We don't say it like that, but in, in our minds sometimes we go, yeah, kind of like that skit this morning. Remember that? Boy, does it blow you away? Realize how blessed you are to be a child of God. That mindset of continually thinking about that. When we do the Lord's Supper, thinking about what Jesus did on the cross. Number two, 
Allow your mind to be transformed by God. Allow your mind to be transformed by God. Now turn over to Romans. And and these are, Romans 12, just a few chapters over. A lot of these are going to be very familiar verses, but I'm hoping we're going to put them all kind of in this concise thing tonight where we can look at them. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we, you, you may be able to quote this, but I, what I want you to do on your paper, and I, I kind of did it this way. You can do it a couple different ways. I want you to read this verse and either put it in your own words. What I've done with mine is I've kind of shifted a little bit and made it a personal prayer to God using verses 1 and 2. I want you to take a minute and put your thoughts into those two verses, either just write them out in your own words or turn them around a little bit. And I started mine. I'll just tell you how I started. God, because of what you've done, I want to I give myself. And I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to give you ideas. But you look at it, and I want you to write it out, either in your own words or as a prayer to God about, well, you, you read it. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. And I want a couple of you to read yours. Take a minute and do that. over in this section. Anybody here that would be willing to read theirs before I volunteer you? Kurt, you're smiling. Would you mind reading yours? Read it real loud. Okay. All right. Somebody over here. George, would you read yours, please, sir? (laughs) Would you volunteer to read yours? (laughs) Hmm. Wow, okay. Somebody over here. Thank you. Somebody over here. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Thanks, Rich. I wrote it this way. And you, you, probably everyone's different, but I wrote it this way. God, because of what you've done, I want to give myself and my desires over to you as an act of worship. Take away my desire to be like the world and renew my mind. Use my situations in my life, whether it be your still small voice, your word, people you bring my way, or circumstances you put me in to allow me to see your perfect plan. We need to allow our minds to be transformed by God. There are so many things, folks, 
that are out there, that are going through our eyes, ears, all of our senses, that are taking us away from God? What are we using to transform our mind to think about him? We'll talk more about that in a minute. The third thing is this, condition your mind. Condition your mind. Turn over to Philippians. You have it there, Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And I'll wait just a minute. You actually need to practice right thinking. To do things the right way, we have to practice. It just, a lot of times, and especially if it's against our our nature, it just doesn't come naturally. We have to practice those things to do them well. So Philippians 4, 8, and 9, listen to what that says. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what's the next word? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What, is that talking about a mindset? Is that talking about the things we, we should be thinking about? We've got to practice, condition our mind to be uh, positive and thinking about these things. Have you ever been around somebody who thinks everyone's out to get them? Or thinks negatively? They, they never give a benefit of the doubt. They're always negative. I, I'll have to tell you about one lady. I was working at Sears Automotive back when I was probably in my late teens over when it was the old attached auto center that sat out on 29 out in front of the mall. Now it's part of the mall, but it was a detached auto center. And I was standing there, and this lady came in for a set of tires, and she was, I mean, she was negative about everything. I mean, everything. It took me forever. There were a lot of people real busy. There were a lot of people standing around needing help. And I was helping this lady. I was trying to do everything I could possibly do to, to make her happy. And, you know, it was just, I mean, it was laborsome. But anyway, I finally got the tire she wanted at the price she wanted with the miles she wanted for her car. And she was standing there at the window watching as they pulled her car in, pulled the uh, car up on the rack, took the tires off, and began putting the tires back on. Well, back in that day, white walls were very popular. And that was popular today, you know, the white wall tires, and there's soap on those that are, that are on the tires to protect it while you're putting them on there so your greasy hands and stuff don't get on the, the white walls, and as they pull them out, they would wash them off. Well, the soap on there was pink, and she was standing there looking at them. She, you could tell she, and she was getting, I mean, I'm looking at the corner of my eyes like, what's wrong with her? And she finally, there's a bunch of people standing there. She finally came up, pounded her, death, her fist on the desk, and said, I did not want pink walls on my car. And I went, well, ma'am, we have blue in the back if you'd rather have blue. You know, that's, there's a blue soap, too. She goes, I said, ma'am, that's just soap. It washes off. She went, oh, okay. And she kind of walked off. And everybody's kind of standing there going, <clears throat> you know, snickering that we're standing around. But she was one of those people that you just could not please with anything. How do, how do people get that way? They condition their mind to think negatively. If they continually think everybody's out to get them, everybody's trying to rook me, this person's out to get me, that person looked at me funny, I walked in church and that person looked over at me, didn't say anything, they must be mad at me. And we condition our minds to think negatively. You know what? That's natural. And for us to begin to think positively is something we have to 
condition in our mind, and we have to practice. And I want to ask you guys, and, and you just, I don't want any verbal answers. I want you to think in your heart. Are you a positive person or a negative person? Because that's going to be the kind of mindset that you have. And it's going to affect the way you obey. Should a believer be known as a negative, pessimistic person? Should they? Why not? Do we really have anything to be negative about? We are blessed. We've already talked about that over and over and over, aren't we? Probably to the point in America that we're spoiled. You know, 96% of the people in the world don't have a car. That's a pretty staggering statistic to think about. Yet we're concerned about having a new car, having two cars, having the nicest car. Should a believer be known as an anxious person? Why not? Be anxious for nothing. Is God in control? He is. God is in control. And it says here at the end, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Condition our minds. I want you to back up just a few verses in this same chapter. Uh, verse 4. Look what it says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A mindset. Is it foundational to obedience? Very foundational to obedience. Having the right mindset is a God thing, But you have to be determined to start practicing it and quit fighting it. Turn over to John 15. John chapter 15. Be there for a little while. What I want you to do on your own now, not with your study group, is I want you to read the first 11 verses, and then I want you to answer the questions on your study sheet. Read the first 11 verses, and then answer your four questions on your study sheet. What a great illustration that Jesus uses here about the vine and the branches. A great uh, picture. If we belong to Christ, we're grafted into the vine. What did you write down? What does it take for a natural branch or a grafted in branch to bear fruit? Somebody just holler out. Obedience to Christ, okay. 
for a, for a natural vine, when you if you were to graft in a vine or even grow a fruit tree, do you get fruit that first season normally? And if you do, is it really good fruit a lot of times? No, it takes it takes time, doesn't it? I mean, that's a simple answer, but it takes time to get really good and bountiful fruit off of a fruit tree or to graft in something to get fruit from that grafted in vine. And I think right here, this word, uh, this verb is used over and over through this passage. It starts in verse 4. It's abide. Spending time happens over. And and when, when we begin to look at this passage, spending time and obedience are almost in this passage hand in hand, aren't they? That, that when, we, when we spend time, we obey, and when we obey, we want to spend more time, and it just kind of works together, doesn't it? And here's another principle for us, that really to abide in Christ is very, very important and foundational to being obedient, to being obedient. What happens if the branch somehow gets separated from the vine? You probably wrote down, it, it won't produce any fruit, it, it dies and dries up, it's taken out and burned. It's not worth anything. And, and, and what happens to the branches that abide, though, on the vine? Boy, after some time of abiding and obeying, what does it do? It begins to bear not just fruit, but much. Yeah, much fruit. God is glorified, and it proves that what? We're really a part of the vine. Boy, when that fruit's produced. How do we abide in God's love according to verse 10? What would you write down? By keeping God's commandments. That's obeying, right? Obeying. It is going to be hard to keep God's commandments or, or obey if we don't know what they are. We'll, it'll take some work. And it'll take some time to figure out what God's commandments are. How long do you think it'll take? At least this lifetime, right? To, to figure out and to find out all of God's commandments and all that he wants us to do it's going to take time, work, and this entire life at least to find out what it is he wants us to be doing. Turn back just a, a chapter to John 14. I'm going to read verse 15, uh, 15 through 17 of chapter 14. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There it is again. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, capital H there, that's a, a person, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Stop right there for just a minute. Do we really get this idea? This is another one of those ideas we talk about. We talk about the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but I wonder do we really take that seriously? To say that a member of the triune Godhead lives in us? can work through us, can actually empower us, that can make us uncomfortable to think about that for a minute. And it could be that the charismatic influences that have caused us uh, to put that part of our faith aside because, because so many times they're extreme or just downright very strange, we sort of go, mm, I don't want to be identified with uh, being connected with the Holy Spirit. But folks, if we avoid the Holy Spirit that lives in us, we are avoiding this helper 
that Jesus said the Father would send. He's called the Spirit of Truth. He leads us to the truth and gives us understanding. It says we can know him. Do we foster talking to God and letting him talk to us? It says here that God dwells with us and in us. Now what does that have to do with keeping God's commandments? If the Holy Spirit is in us, then he's always with us. We are never without him, and if we ever get stumped or need to make a decision, couldn't we just ask him? Talk to him? So Kevin, are you saying that you actually talk to God and he talks back? Not audibly. Some of you were getting ready to dial 911. But silently, yes, that is what I'm saying. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet in a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and, may, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He lives in us. Can you obey God without loving God? Kind of a trick question. Well, what did the Pharisees do? They follow all the rituals. They follow all the laws. They follow it to a T. Boy, we can, we can go through the routine, folks. We can check it all off and not really love God. But can you really love God without obeying him? Mm-mm. Not according to this passage we just read. Obedience is essential to really loving God. What about partial obedience or the wrong attitude or motivation in obedience? How does God feel about that? I want to give you an example. You can go back to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you'll turn back there. Let me give you some background information. King Saul had already done, done some things to, uh, that put his kingdom in jeopardy. In fact, you're going to see in a few minutes that you're, you can go home t- tonight or tomorrow and read it as an assignment. You'll read about this. But God comes back with another task, probably giving Saul another chance. Through Samuel the prophet, God instructs Saul to destroy the Amalekites. Destroy them. God commands, uh, command was to destroy everything, all the people, even the livestock. And that seems like a very harsh commandment of God. But you even have to go back at that point, 500 years before that, and understand that, uh, the, what the Amalekites did. When, when the Israelites left Egypt, the Amalekites, they were a nomadic desert-dwelling people, and the descendants of Esau, they attacked Israel and plundered them uh, and took all our stuff, killed people. Anyway, we also know that God promised that if you went out against his people, you would not just be against Israel, but against him. Against him. God was fulfilling that promise, and could it be that he was hoping over the course of 500 years that they would repent? That they would repent. They did not, and now God was using Saul to do what he had promised. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 7. 
You kind of know the background. Here's what it says. And Saul defeated the Malachites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came up to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul to him, Blessed be you, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is that bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, and you are not the head of the tribes of Israel, and are not the head of the tribes of Israel, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are, they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission. On which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the Malachites, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep, and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delights in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen. And the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Partial obedience. So did Saul obey God? Did he partly obey God? Did Saul think that he obeyed God? Why did he keep, why did he think that keeping King Agag alive would be okay? He said utterly destroy but he keeps king. Now, now I do need to give Saul a, a little. Back in that day, it was a custom for a conquering king to come in and to, when he when he won or overcame, to keep the king and to basically bring him back as a, a trophy, as such, and to parade him through the streets and to show people we're we're more superior. We won. Here's their king. We captured him. And a lot of times later, they would kill him. But he he was doing that, and, and God had specifically said, "Do not keep anyone." alive it proves that Saul was more about or concerned about his image and ability to brag than he was about complete obedience you see that 
Does that get in our way sometimes? In our way of obeying? Listen to this. God, I know you don't mind me or you don't want me to associate with the world, transform my mind, but I need this promotion. This one shady deal or drinking alcohol at an occasion, occasional business function, flirting this one time, fudging the numbers just a little, it's not that big of a deal. All the kings are doing it. I don't want to rock the boat, and it sure would help me out. I'll be able to get ahead and even provide better for my family. You do want me to provide for my family, right, God? You hear the logic? All of a sudden, kind of making excuses to do those things? Saul probably had some of the same reasoning going on in his head, and, and, and all the other kings parade the losing kings around to make them look foolish and themselves look superior. It's what they do, and surely God knows that's what kings do. What else did he do? He kept all the good stuff and trashed the junk after God said destroy it all. What was his reasoning here? The people wanted it. So was Saul saying it's more important to appease public opinion than to obey God? More of the same logic. And then what was the other reason he gave? He said this, they kept it so they could make sacrifices to the Lord. God would never ask us to break a law to fulfill another one. Realize that? God never asks us to break one of his laws to fulfill another one of his laws. It'd be like me saying this, God, I am going to rob this bank so I can give you a great tithe next Sunday. That's ridiculous that we would think that way, right? It doesn't work that way. But another thing we do is this. We are convicted about something we are doing, but we don't want to get rid of it, so we begin bargaining. God, I'll give you more time in church. I'll I'll be there more. I'll serve more. I'll give more. I'll read my Bible more. I'll do more good things. Just let me hang on to this. I will sacrifice more. And God says this. Behold, to obey, to completely obey, is better than sacrifice. Obedience is hard. But folks, it's essential to truly loving God. One other aspect of obedience is God asking you to do something and you have said no. It is difficult to follow God's instructions on what not to do in our walk as a Christian. And when we disobey by violating his law, we feel guilty. We should feel guilty. Those violations are called sins of commission. What's a sin of commission? That is doing what we are not supposed to do. You can write that there on your blanks. Doing what we are not supposed to do. But can I tell you an equally bad feeling, if not a worse feeling, when we know that God has called us to a task and we resist, for whatever reason, most of the time it's because of some fear that's in our heart, and we do our own thing instead. Saul was guilty of that one. That's called the sin of omission. And your assignment, if you want to read about that one, is to go back and read 1 Samuel 13. We don't have time tonight. But but Saul did that one too. Point to a miserable Christian, and I can almost assure you they're living outside the will of God. They're not obeying. Whether it be sins of commission or sins of omission, that is, and write in your notes, not doing what we are supposed to do. Those are sins too. Not doing what we are supposed to do. A miserable Christian. 
I want you to examine your life tonight where you're seated. Did you know the greatest joy and the greatest peace is found when we obey the Lord and exist in his will? It's not about what I'm going to do 10 years from now to serve God. I have people come up to me sometimes and say, Kevin, one of these days you'll have your own church. Kind of like that's success. Let me tell you what success is. Existing in the will of God. Existing in the will of God. I want to challenge you to look at it that way. You may be thinking, if I surrender to the will of God, he is going to send me to some jungle to eat bugs. You know it. You think it in your heart. And he could. But do you know What I have experienced when I have said yes to God is blessing after blessing after blessing. Anybody with me? And I could kick myself sometimes when I say no. But when I'm learning to say yes, what God does is blessing him. We don't serve a, a masochistic God that takes the joy, takes joy in our suffering. We serve a God who sent his own son to suffer so that we might have life and have it beyond what we can even think or imagine so that we can bring him glory. It's not about us. A life way past what we think so that God can receive honor and glory and blessing. Folks, that's what we desire for you as a church. To live and to be that kind of a church body that goes out and does God-sized things. And guys, that's uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I've, I talked to the baptismal candidates this morning because a lot of times they're nervous. They don't know what to expect. It's something different. They don't get baptized every Sunday. It's different. And I tell them, guys, when I do something different in church, I get nervous because it's different. I'm uncomfortable because it's different. But you know what? Being uncomfortable serving the Lord is a great thing. It keeps us on our knees. It keeps us close to him. It allows him to work through us. It allows us to trust him and not trust us, right? Being uncomfortable and doing what God asks you to do is important to say yes. And if he asks us to do it, guess what he's going to do? He's going to gift us and equip us to do those things. And they will be God-sized things. Are you fighting God in an area of obedience? Maybe something you shouldn't be doing or something you should be doing. And you're resisting against God and saying, God, I want to hang on to this. Or God, I can't do that. I know you've asked me to do it. I can't do that. What is it? Would you be willing to surrender that tonight? I want us to bow our heads. And I want you to ask God, is there something in my life that I am disobeying over, that I'm not obeying you in? I don't want to ask you to reveal that to me right now. What is it? I'm not the Holy Spirit. Guys, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to do business with you tonight. 
and to say, God, if there is something that I am not obeying you in, would you give me the courage and the strength to say yes to you over that? Or to say no if it's something I don't need to be doing? God, it scares me. But I want to trust you. You know, sometimes salvation, well, salvation faith sometimes is difficult. But I think sometimes living day to day in our faith daily as a believer is hard. God, we ask you that you would give us strength to say yes to you. So many times we wonder why we don't see you working. We wonder why things around us don't happen. We wonder why we don't have opportunities to share the gospel. But God, it's not you. It's us. We have our eyes and our ears closed. God, you are at work all around us every day. God, I ask you to help us attune our hearts and minds to your perfect and holy will and exist in your will. God, speak to us, teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit to move inside of us to be the men and women of God that you've designed us to be. God, thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.